Are you the son of God? I am. Good morning. Everyone doing okay? It's uh, always a pleasure to be here at the Owasso campus. Uh, I know most of you, I, I, but I hang out at the Calvary campus most Sundays, and so it's always an honor to come back to the Owasso campus and preach. And so we are going to start our new series today as we move into the Easter season. And uh, we're, we're, you know, we, we, we jump around a little bit. Uh, today we'll be in Luke. Uh, next week we will jump over to Matthew. But if you will, get your Bibles out and be prepared to be in Luke. Luke chapter 23, and we are going to unpack a good chunk of that scripture this morning. We'll look at verses 20, uh, excuse me, chapter 23, verses 32, all the way through 49. Uh, And so as we move into this Easter season, we're going to take a look at the words of Christ and the last words of Christ. And uh, there's there's a lot of different places that we can go, but this morning, We will focus on Jesus on the cross, uh, and he's actually on the cross asking for forgiveness for the people that actually put him on the cross. And it's an interesting idea to look at what has happened leading up to this this moment uh, that Jesus has been... He has been accused of a few things, but he has not been found to be guilty of anything. You, you see, Pilate has looked at him, Herod has looked at him, all these people have looked at him and they said, there's, there's nothing, there's no offense, there's, there's nothing he's guilty of. Yet, due to the sovereignty of God and the providence of God, Jesus Christ, for our benefit, thank God, made it to the cross. And he died, and he didn't die for his own sins. He died for our sins, but while he's up there, in between two thieves who are getting their just and due punishment, as Jesus is in between these two, he is perfectly innocent. And then he cries out to God, the Father, he prays, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And so we will look at this this morning and and unpack this idea And our major doctrine is forgiveness is found in Christ alone in his life, death, resurrection, and declaration. All right, so we have to take all of those together that Christ has earned our forgiveness through his perfect life, through his death, and through his resurrection. We can't just stop at the death of Christ. We've got to move to the resurrection of Christ. That's very important. But then we also will receive the declaration of Christ. There will be a day where Jesus Christ will declare us forgiven before God. Now, in time, there's lots of ways that we can wrestle with this, that we believe that when we uh, put our faith in Christ, he is therefore declared us righteous. We are justified. We receive the righteousness of Christ. But there will be a day, a final judgment, where we will all stand before the throne, and Jesus Christ will be our advocate, and he will declare us forgiven. And so we look at this perspective here um, and, and, and look at what Jesus is doing on the cross in a couple of different ways. So that should be in our minds this morning, in our hearts. But I want to share a quote real quick from J.I. Packer. And he says, Where the Lord Jesus is not confessed as God incarnate, crucified, risen, reigning, and returning, where there is no focus on personal knowledge of Christ crucified, there is no Christianity. And if you remove any one of those pieces, you are, therefore, by definition, moving away from Christianity. 
You can have all sorts of other good ideas, but as soon as you stop denying that Jesus Christ is God incarnate, step one, you deny that, you are no longer properly in the category of Christian. If you deny that he was crucified, that he was risen, that he's reigning, if you deny those things, you're also no longer in Christendom. Also, if you do not believe that he's returning, (laughs) that's important, isn't it? He is coming back. The work was finished as far as what he needed to do to redeem us on the cross through his uh, death, burial, resurrection. But he's also coming back to redeem all of creation. And and there's going to be a new heaven, a new earth, and we will be glorified in those days. We will get a new body. And so the redemption story really completes itself there through the work of Jesus Christ returning. But there's so much to this. But I love the idea that Packer points to here. He says, if there is no focus on the personal knowledge of Christ crucified, there is no Christianity. So this morning I want to prime your thoughts and your minds with that. Do you have a personal knowledge of Jesus Christ crucified? What does it mean to have a personal knowledge of that? Well, I think it means that we understand that we have put Jesus Christ on the cross And we have benefited from him dying on the cross. That's what it means to have a personal knowledge of Christ crucified. That it is our sins that put him there, but it's for our benefit that he went there. And so as we get going this morning, I want that in your hearts and your minds. And I want you to to picture yourself uh, in the crowd as one who's calling out. I want you to picture picture yourself as, as one who is there observing Jesus Christ on the cross. And, and I, and I want to ask a couple of questions before we get into this, and I just want you to think about this. Do you struggle with a thought that you were once an enemy of God? Sometimes it's really easy for us to just, just not even think about that, and we're just saying, well, there was a time where I was passive, and I was just kind of floating in neutral. I really wasn't an enemy of God. I just didn't believe in him, or I wasn't submitted to him, but I wasn't really an enemy of God. But the scripture tells us that we were. In our fallen state, before we are redeemed, before we are regenerated, before we come to faith in Christ, we are enemies of God. And you have to ask yourself, does that make you feel uncomfortable? Because sometimes we don't, I know I was never an enemy of God. I just, you know, was kind of apathetic, didn't really care either way or one way. No, there is no neutral. And I want you to think with me this morning that before We were saved. We were enemies of God. And Jesus Christ on the cross does something. He asked for forgiveness for his enemies. And I want that to be the preface this morning in our hearts and our minds that we were once enemies. But thank God, through the mercy of Jesus Christ, we are no longer. So let's stand and let's get into the scripture this morning. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 23 Verse 32, two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching. But the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. 
there was also an inscription over him, and it said this, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanging railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. God. You may be seated. So we will make three stops this morning. We will take a look at the forgiveness of Christ. We'll look at the kindness of Christ. And we'll also look at this statement of trust where he's, um, he's committing his spirit to the Father. But when we look at this, this text right here, there's all sorts of very powerful images. Uh, and there's so much to unpack. But I want to start by going through verse 32 for a second. So it says, two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, they were crucified uh, there. And uh, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So we have this idea that Jesus Christ is put in this place. He is on the cross. Now Luke is kind of giving you the summary. He's kind of giving you the quick look at it. But picture Jesus Christ in the state that he's in at this point. He's been through a lot to get to this point. Uh, Have you ever seen somebody in trauma? Have you ever seen somebody who's injured very badly? What's your thought? Your thought is to get them help now. Picture Jesus Christ on the cross at this point. He's been through significant trauma, emotionally and physically. And here he is, almost at the end of this ordeal. And you can just imagine how tired, how weak, how much pain he's feeling, how sick he feels. And here he is, he's able from the cross to look down at who? Who does he see? Well, he sees a couple of different groups. He sees some people that are his friends and his family that deeply cares about him. Now put yourself in their shoes. What would you want to do for Jesus in that moment? You'd want to help Jesus. You'd want to comfort him, wouldn't you? If that was your son, if that was your friend. Then there's another group. There's this group that's just there because it's a spectacle. Let's watch this crazy thing. You know, crucifixions happen all the time, but this one's, this one's a little different, right? We've heard about this guy. He's been doing some crazy things around town. We just so heard that they're killing him today. So there's that group that's just there because they're curious. They want to see. Then there's the other group. The other group is the religious leaders. And at this point in time, they're feeling pretty good. All right, so the first group, they're hurting. They're looking up at someone they love who's in trauma, who is dying. And there's no stopping this. There's no, there's no pulling him down and giving him to a doctor. This is, this is it. He's all but dead. 
The second group is just there to watch. But the third group is there feeling justice has been served, feeling that they have won. And not only are they satisfied that he's there, they want to make it even worse. And so they want to throw these crazy things out there. They start saying some bad things about him and, and, and mocking him. But Jesus Christ, from this perspective, looking down, sees these different groups. And what does he say? He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. What is, what is Jesus doing? I think, I think, one, he's an example of what he made possible. So we are to follow the example of Christ that we are to forgive our enemies, but it would be impossible for us to do that without Jesus Christ and what he did. But the enemies of Christ, you know, they thought that they won. They gloated in his suffering. Yet what we see is that the merciful lamb prays for them, asking God to forgive them in their blind ignorance. Can you picture that? That there's these three groups all watching Jesus, Jesus looking down at them, and what's on his mind? His, his, what's on his mind is kindness, that he would pray for these people, asking that God would forgive them. And what's really interesting is if we stop and we say, okay, this is, this is a zoomed in view, this is Jesus on the cross, let's zoom out. For what did Christ come to do? What was the work that Christ was to be about? Forgiving sins. Coming to make a way for sinners to be forgiven. This is the entire work that Jesus was, was, was called to do. This is for which th that he came into the world in the first place. And so we may look at it and say, this is weird that Jesus is doing this. But we should stop and zoom out and say, this is exactly in line with what Jesus is supposed to be doing. Because the whole point of Jesus' ministry is to come to bring this into reality. To make it possible for forgiveness of sins. One, on the level of, of, of God to man, that we would be forgiven by God. That's step one. But step two is that, we can make it that he would make it possible for us to forgive one another. He gives this example. But when he says, he says, uh, you know, forgive them for they know not what they do, what does he mean? Is he saying that these people have no idea, that they're just completely ignorant? Oh, you know, don't count it against them, Lord. They didn't, they didn't have any idea. There was no willingness. They just stumbled into this situation. That's not what Jesus is talking about. But there's two ways we can look at this. One is if we look at it from the perspective of, did they recognize who Jesus was? No. So it's one thing to kill an innocent man. That's bad enough in and of itself, isn't it? It's really bad to kill this one. Because he is perfectly pure, holy, righteous, very nature God. That they had no idea what they were doing. They may have thought that they were doing something, but I do not think that they thought they were doing that. And it was, it was not until after the fact that they realized that's what we just did. But in this point when Jesus is saying, forgive them for they know not what they do, that's what he's talking about. They have no idea what they are doing right now. And simply because they're ignorant does not absolve them, does not remove responsibility but Jesus in his kindness and his mercy still says, God, forgive them because of this ignorance. And there's a lot more that can be unpacked there. But the idea is that God's forgiveness is always in light of the Christ on the cross. And I say the Christ because he's the chosen one. 
And there is no forgiveness without the work of the cross. Uh, there was, there, there'd be nothing, right? So when we think of this, this idea of atonement, what Jesus is doing on the cross is he's atoning for our sin. Well, what does that mean? Well, this leads to two words that we use in theology, you, you know, propitiation and expiation. Uh, you may be like, well, who cares about those types of words? But they're important. They really are. Uh, some people confuse them and say they're, ah, they're about basically the same. Well, there's some distinctions to be made. And some will, will say you can have one without the other. I'm not in that camp. I'm in the camp that one leads to the other, and I think they both necessarily tie together. So what are they? Let me try to explain them quickly. Expiation, the first one, it literally means out of or from. And it has to do with Christ taking away our guilt. Okay, so have you ever been guilty? <laughs> Can you think of a time uh, when you were guilty of something? I certainly can. I've got lots of examples. But, but being guilty is not just a feeling. You can be guilty and not feel guilty. If, if there was a judge who's, who's, who's trying a case and there's a murderer and the murderer says, you know, I don't feel bad about this at all, and he actually did it. Well, is he guilty? Yes, he's still guilty. Independent of his emotions, independent of the way he feels. So when we stand before a holy God as sinners, we are guilty. Whether or not we feel guilty or not is a totally different conversation. But what expiation does through the work of Jesus Christ, it removes our guilt. And that's how we can truly move on and be forgiven because we are no longer guilty judicially standing before God and hopefully that leads to the second, which is that we shouldn't feel guilt. Feeling remorse in the first place, that's perfectly fine. But if we are staying there and we're getting beat up by the devil because of what we've done in the past, we are not holding on to the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, which removes our guilt twofold. One, judicially, that we are no longer guilty before God. Two, psychologically and emotionally, we should move on. Learn from it, but you should not be a slave to that guilt any longer. But the idea is that expiation is to pull out of, to take the guilt from us. Christ does that. Propitiation is the way it happens. Propitiation is Christ as a sacrifice, satisfying the just wrath of God and paying our debt. Do you get that, that there is a debt to be paid? Now, when I started this whole thing, I said, do you feel uncomfortable thinking of yourself as an enemy of God? Well, not only are you an enemy of God, but you actually owe him something. You owe him something, and, and there's something that, that, that you can't, this, you owe him so much, there's nothing you can do to pay it off. But propitiation is Christ as a sacrifice, satisfying the just wrath of God in paying that debt. And I love this idea from Ezekiel Hopkins. He says, the pardon of sin is not merely an act of mercy, but also an act of justice. So when we get expiation and propitiation when the wrath of God is satisfied, okay, we get mercy. But that does not mean that that's all it is. There is also justice. Do you get that? That the wrath of God must be satisfied. And so many people today are afraid to talk about the wrath of God. That is not seeker sensitive. People don't like that stuff. But we are missing the gospel if we miss the fact that we are saved from what? From the wrath of God that will be poured out on all those who are not found in the grace of Christ. If you don't believe that, 
then what are we doing? What are we, what are we evangelizing for? Why are, we, why are we even trying to share the message? What's the point? We're not just trying to say, here's your best life now, to quote someone. There, there's way more to this than here and now. The only way this is your best life now is if there's no afterlife. Because if you're not saved, the afterlife is hell. And if you are saved, the afterlife is bliss with Christ. The only way the best life happens now if there is no afterlife. And I'm not to get on that soapbox, but the idea is that there is a wrathful God and he's gonna deal with sin. And he has and he will. He has for those who are found in Christ. He dealt with it in Christ on the cross. For those who are not found in Christ, he will deal with it in eternal punishment. Those are hard words to hear, but that's exactly what the Bible tells us. So we we take this idea of expiation and propitiation, and Christ's work of expiation is propitiation, and God's anger is turned away from us. Christ will one day declare us forgiven before the Father as our advocate, and I love this idea, silencing our accuser, the devil. Do you know that the devil, that's what he does, is he accuses? He brings up all sorts of accusations, and sometimes he's not wrong. He's not always wrong. But here's the thing, when we are found in Christ and he stands there and accuses us, Christ is our advocate and says, nope. He declares us forgiven, declares us righteous. There is no sin left for us to pay for because Christ took it on the cross. And so the idea of Christ's kindness, I love this, that that the kindness shown in his merciful prayer was effective. And I'm not telling you to turn there, but write this down, Acts 6-7. You know, the idea that Christ advances his kingdom through grace, and it's this beautiful image uh, that, that, for one, if you think about this, who can resist God? Nobody can resist God. If, if, if God wants his man, God's going to get his man. You, you see some rulers who are chasing down the rebels, and sometimes it's hard for some of these princes or kings to, to get a hold of the rebel, but not so with God. There's no place to hide. There's no escaping him. He has no difficulty in securing you. Well, that's kind of scary, right? A God who knows exactly what you've done wrong and a God you can't hide from. That's pretty scary if he's not also a loving and merciful God. So this idea is that Jesus Christ in his kindness on the cross, he advances his kingdom through grace. And I love this idea if you look at Acts 6, 7, that there's a great many of priests who became obedient to the faith. So there's two types of people. Remember I said that there was, actually there's three, but the two I want to focus on is that there's, there's some that are just in the crowd that are observing. They're just watching. The others, they're the priests, the rulers, these religious people who didn't just observe. They went on and mocked him. You say you're the Christ, save yourself. You saved other people, save yourself. Those very people are the people Jesus was praying for. And it's so beautiful when we fast forward, we look in, in Acts. Uh, you know, we don't know for sure, but I think it's possible some of these were certainly here to observe the death of Christ, and some of these were brought into the faith. It says many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Now, what would happen if Jesus Christ would just, just ah, blast them with his, with his just wrath and kill them all right there? Totally different story, Right? 
But on the cross, we see Jesus praying for their forgiveness, showing them kindness. He's advancing the kingdom through grace. And so I ask this question, how are we advancing the kingdom of Jesus Christ? Because that is our model. Jesus is our model. We advance the kingdom through grace as we have seen he has offered grace. And so this idea that, that's been rocking me this week is, is, is that you and I desire, uh, excuse me, deserve the perfect and full wrath and hatred of God. Have you ever thought about that? That what I deserve is for God to hate me. And uh, you know, you're like, dude, this guy's like totally, <laughs> no one's coming back. But we deserve the hatred and full wrath of God. We deserve to be crushed by him. That's what we deserve. Yet what we get is his love and mercy. And that should absolutely blow your mind. But it also should go beyond that, in that any time you have hatred for your fellow brother, you should think about what hatred is owed me that I did not get. And I believe that any time we are hating anyone else, we are missing our own benefiting of God's mercy and love. Because as soon as you start to think about how much hatred you deserve, how much you deserve to be crushed, justly, it really humbles you and enables you to start to look at this and say, let me extend mercy. And the, and the scripture is clear. It says those who have been shown mercy, <laughs> right, usually are those who show mercy. And it's this idea. But when we look at this, we, we unpack this idea. These rulers scoffed at him. They said, if he is the Christ, the God, the chosen one, the, cho the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there's this inscription over him, which was meant to be mockery. And then one of the criminals, you know, he even starts to rail against him. Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. He's like, hey, dude, if you can do this, why don't you do it? But it's for our benefit that Christ stayed there. Was it possible for Christ to come off the cross? Yes. Was he able to, in a way? Yes. But to be obedient to the Father, he stayed there. For our benefit. And it's this beautiful image that Jesus Christ advances his kingdom through kindness and grace. Now, I am not to leave behind the fact that one day Christ will come back and there will be a different side of Christ we will see. We will see warrior. We will see him dealing justly. And in that time, the period of mercy and grace will be over and there will be an account given of every single person's life. And he's the one who sits and judges. But the beauty is this side of eternity what we say is choose Christ, accept his mercy, ask for forgiveness. But this idea that Jesus Christ, he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus trusts the Father during this critical time when he would personally experience death for the first time. And it's this idea that Christ's life was not taken. As we see in John 10, he says that he lays down his life for the sheep. He says, no one takes it from me. And it's because his ability to lay it down is, is rooted in his ability to raise it up. He, he has power over death. 
No one takes his life from him. But there's this idea that as he's obedient to the Father and staying on the cross, as he's obedient to the Father in dying a sinner's death, as he's obedient to the Father and he absorbs the wrath of God, he says in that moment, Father, I trust you. I've never done this before. You ever thought about that? You know, it's a miracle that Jesus would rise from the dead. That's pretty, pretty spectacular. But some have said the greater miracle is that God would ever die in the first place. And in this instance, here we see Jesus Christ about to cross over and experience death for the first time as the God-man. And he's saying, Father, I trust you in this. And it's this beautiful image of Jesus Christ being obedient, coming to secure forgiveness for us. And so as we close this morning, I want us to have in our hearts and our minds that forgiveness is found in Christ alone in his life and his death, his resurrection and his declaration. And that salvation is found in a right relationship with God that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in, faith in what? In the work that Jesus did on the cross. And Jesus saying, forgive them, is a model for us. But it's also Jesus Christ's work on the cross that enables that to even be a true possibility that there would ever be any true forgiveness of sin. And there is no forgiveness of sin apart from the work of Christ who was crucified, risen, is reigning, and returning. So as we go into this Easter season, I want us to remind ourselves of this, that it's not just about the death of Christ. It's also about that he was risen, that he is reigning, and he is returning. And that's hope for us Christian believers, isn't it? The story is not over at the death. But I love this, and I want to end with this quote from Richard Sibbs. He says, There is more mercy in Christ than there is sin in us. Have you ever thought to yourself, this is it, I've done it. If, if I would have stopped before this, he could have forgiven me. But I crossed that line. Are you, you have any... Do you have those lines? I had those lines, and I've crossed those lines. A real Christian would never do this. God can forgive me as long as I don't go this far. Have you ever done that? And then you cross that line, and you're like, I'm done now. Now I'm toast. But we're forgetting the gospel. And, and hear me, I'm not saying, hey, the tab's open. Go, go tear it up. Sin, 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 sin. That is not at all what I'm talking about. But the idea is there is more mercy in Christ than there is sin in us. That that cup, God's mercy, is a greater cup than we could ever fill of our wretchedness and sin. And when we think about that, that's what we start to do when we start to think about how does the mercy of God lead us to repentance. Because the mercy of God is not for our abuse, but it's for our benefit to lead us to repentance. And as Jonathan Edwards says, Christ will not refuse to save the greatest sinners who in a right manner come to God for mercy, for this is his work. So as we close this morning, I invite you to consider, have you asked for the forgiveness of Christ? Have you responded to the hound of heaven who chases us down? 
not leaving us dead in our trespasses.